So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, Psalm chapter 42. Now we are officially at the halfway point through our Summer in the Psalm series, or as I've been calling it, our Summer Playlist. Uh, I'm from a different generation, so uh, it's my playlist. And we've, we've heard a lot of good songs so far, and I've enjoyed hearing all of these. I've, um, you know, we started out with David uh, singing of the true joy of Jehovah God being our light and our salvation from Psalm 27. Uh, then uh, we worship God from Psalm 90, where uh, Ronald preached from Psalm chapter 90. And then on Father's Day, Adam led us in worshiping God for his splendor and his majesty from Psalm chapter 8. And last week, uh, Jeremy preached, and we sang of the goodness of the Lord from Psalm 34 and how fearing God can defeat all other fears in our life. Well, this morning will be a little bit different song than what you may be used to singing. Um, this isn't the uh, song that comes along with the pomp and pageantry of a newly crowned monarch with all of its fanfare. Uh, this isn't the song of rejoicing when uh, the people are welcoming home the battle-worn king by the clear ringing of silver trumpets. I know the song we'll look at this morning is a song of lament. It's the songs that we sing in a minor key. It's the songs that uh, may be unfamiliar to us, but one-third of the psalms are songs of lament. One-third of the psalm book that you have in your lap this morning are these types of psalms. Uh, it's helpful to learn the tune of a few of these. Uh, these are the night songs that were penned from hurting and grieving hearts, but much like the psalms that we've already sang this summer, these are the songs of life. Uh, now, lament, I'll be honest, it doesn't get a lot of teaching time, but it is part of the Christian life. We all go through seasons of grief and lament. It's the expression of grief sadness or sorrow that comes from a heart trying to make sense of all the confusion in life. Now, one writer defined lament this way. He said, lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Christians affirm that the world is broken, God is powerful, and He will be faithful. Therefore, lament stands in the gap between pain and promise. Now, a little background on Psalm chapter 42. It was most likely written during David's exile from Jerusalem when Absalom uh, tried to take over the throne of Israel. Uh, you can read about these events in 2 Samuel 15 through 19, but the story really begins a few chapters earlier in 2 Samuel 13. David's oldest son, Amnon, uh, attacks and rapes his half-sister, Tamar, who was the sister of Absalom. Now, David heard about this. The Scripture says that David was very angry, but you see no action on David's part. Uh, two years go by. Absalom tricks Amnon into coming to a feast, and while Amnon is at that feast, Absalom has his half-brother killed. 
And he flees about 90 miles from Jerusalem and stays there for about three years. So five years have already passed. It would be another two years before David uh, and Absalom saw each other. So he's gone for two years, he comes back after three years, and then two more years pass before David and his son Absalom meet. Four years after that, Absalom finally puts his plan into motion to take over Jerusalem. Eleven years of waiting, of scheming. He was patient. I'll give Absalom that. For all of his good looks, he also had great cunning. So David and his men, they they travel some 100 miles from Jerusalem to escape Absalom. And it's during this time that some of the sons of Korah, uh, these were the the OG praise and worship leaders of of Israel. Uh, It's during this time that either David or most likely one of the uh, sons of Korah wrote Psalm chapter 42. Now, over the past uh, several months, this psalm, along with other psalms of lament, have been a a comfort for me. These have been the the songs that I've sung to my soul. Um, On March 24th of last year, I got a call from my my parents, and I saw the caller ID, and I assumed mom's calling to tell me happy birthday. Um, she forgot my birthday when I turned 40, so she made a point not to forget that again. So I saw that she was calling, and I said, I'll call her back later. But instead of telling me happy birthday, she called to tell me that my dad had passed away in his sleep and died. Now, earlier that morning, I had read another psalm of lament, Psalm chapter 71. And I underlined verse 3 in my Bible. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Little did I know that within an hour's time I would be running to this rock of refuge. And over the weeks, months, 15 months since, uh, these psalms of lament have been a comfort to me. I've I've written about them in my journal, I've prayed them, I've sang them, I've cried them, but above all, I've tried to worship God in the midst of them, and that's what I want to do this morning. I want to lead us in worshiping God, even in the midst of sorrow, not in song. Uh, Some of the elders have heard me sing, not in song. So uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 42, and I'll read, then we'll pray, and Then we'll get into the text. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, I thank you for the privilege it is this morning to stand and uh, proclaim your word. I pray that you would give me clarity of speech, clarity of vision as I read. I pray that you would open our hearts to the truths of your word. Allow your spirit to do a work in us this morning for your glory. Amen. So just three quick points this morning. Verses 1 through 4 are a cry of despair. Verses 6 through 10 is a complaint of desertion. And then verses 5 and, uh, 5 and 11, excuse me, are kind of like the chorus of this psalm. And, and they work as a, uh, uh, the, the confidence in a deliverer. So we're going to f- kind of frame this as a song this morning and look at the first verse, which is the cry of despair from verses 1 through 4. Now, lament can take on many different forms, but one thing that's almost always present is crying. Uh, One author noted that crying is the hallmark of mourning. It's practically shorthand for the experience. We grieve, therefore we cry. Tears are the outward expression of a feeling too primal to fully express any other way. Uh, Crying is is our natural response to pain, to to fear, to discomfort, or any other distresses that come in on our life. In fact, we were born crying. It's it's in our very DNA to cry. Uh, But the cries of lament, they come from a deeper well of sorrow. Uh, These tears often come without warning. Uh, They seem to have no end. Uh, These grief-soaked sorrows can... They can come from seeing an old memento of a loved one, Uh, maybe hearing a phrase that someone used to say, uh, uh, a scent, uh, a smell. Um, I still have a voicemail on my phone from my dad. I've not deleted it, not going to delete it. Um, But these things bring up these emotions. Now, the psalmist in 42 Psalm 42, he felt the same sorrow. He was reminded of his grief, but it wasn't from an email that he pulled up on his tablet, if he had one, which he didn't. It wasn't a, a letter from a, a loved one that he had tucked away in his garment. No, his grief and his lament came from seeing a deer. Odd thing to cause tears to come to the surface, but that's what happened. He's on the run, he sees a deer panting for water, and he's reminded of the sorrow that's affecting his body, and in this sorrow, he cries out to God. Now, now this deer was probably chased by a predator for so long that 
Uh, it's trying to find a stream, maybe trying to find relief from uh, just a, a cool drink of water, maybe trying to lose the sin of the, uh, the predator that's tracking it. But he just wants to find some water. Now, the, the prophet Joel used the same word for pant in Joel 1.20 to describe how animals cry out to God during a drought. Uh, this animal knew that if I can't find water, if I can't come to a cool stream, I'm going to die. He sees this deer in distress, and the psalmist's own despair comes crashing down on him. Not because he's thirsty for water. Uh, yes, he is on the run from his enemies, but his despair is because he feels so disconnected from God. As intense as this deer's longing for water is, the psalmist says, my, my longing for God is even much more so he said that his soul both pants and thirsts for God. It's similar to how David felt in Psalm 63.1, uh, another psalm written during this time of exile. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, this psalmist had a deep longing for God, and the fact that he mentioned it twice in the first two verses shows just how, his, how intense his longing for God is. The Hebrew repetition of, of thirst, thirst, it was, I'm so thirsty, I'm thirsty. Uh, now, the soul was often used in the Hebrew text to describe the seat of all emotions and desires, and uh, notice where he places his desires. It's, he's on the run from Jerusalem, but he's not wanting to be... Uh, back home so much, surrounded by the familiarity of home. He's, his longing not, it isn't so much to be back leading worship, but his longing is to be with God, to be with the living God, the God who constantly sustains and preserves his people. Now, there's times when grief can become so intense that you just long for one more minute with that person who's gone. If I could just go back and have one more meal with, with my friend, I know it would be better. Now, parents, you may be grieving over that child who's walked away, and every time the phone rings, you look to see if it's a text that says, Mom, I'm sorry, can I come back home? You, you wait to hear that voice say, Daddy, I'm, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? But they never come. And so, another day of sadness and sorrow begins. And the, the lament weighs on you again. But let the heart cry of the psalmist be your cry this morning. God, I need you. God alone must be the refuge that we turn to. He has to be the anchor that we trust in. He has to be the shelter that we run in during the storm because nothing else will satisfy us. Uh, you long to find relief from the drought of despair. So listen to the comforting words of Isaiah 12, 3. Isaiah wrote that with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And God alone must be our hope. He must be our one true desire. But, but in his thirst and longing for God, the psalmist cries out and asks, When shall I come and appear before God? Now, I, I don't think 
that this son of Korah, I don't think he's doubting the omnipresence of God. Uh, As one of the descendants of Korah, he would be responsible for leading congregational singing. He would be familiar with Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my my thoughts from afar. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? So I don't think the psalmist is so much questioning whether God is with him during this low point in his life. But he does want to be back in the sanctuary. If you remember back from Exodus chapter 25, the sanctuary and later the tabernacle where the mercy seat was. This is where God said he would meet with his people. So the psalmist is saying, God, if I can just be back in the temple worshiping you. I'll still be with you. You'll still be my desire. But I can sing praises to you where you said you would meet us. Charles Spurgeon said that a nearer translation of the Hebrew would be that he wanted to see the face of God. He would be seen of his, he would see his God and be seen of him. And this is something worth thirsting after. Uh, This was the theme of another song of the sons of Korah from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. But his desire to be with God was conflicting with his present reality. He longed to be with God But here he was by a river watching a deer, and he was weeping day and night. Kind of hard to miss the almost irony of this. You have a deer dying of thirst and a psalmist drowning in tears. And grief and sorrow can sometimes overwhelm us so much that even routine things, eating, sleeping, getting up out of bed. They don't even seem possible. But it's almost mocking the way the tears always keep coming. Uh, the, 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 The tears that come from this well of hurt seems to be as deep as the ocean. Uh, Just when you think there are no more tears to be shed, they come again, often without warning. Sometimes not even wanted, but here they come again. Sometimes it's just a few running down your cheek. Other times you feel like you're David in Psalm 6. I'm weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. You just, you just want to know when it's going to stop. You know, am I ever going to get over these tears? Am I ever going to get over this? Or am I ever going to get to the point when blank, and here they come again. It was bad enough for this psalmist to try to go through a day with the grief that he was facing, but, but to hear the, the mocking, the taunts of those who mocked his sorrow was almost too much to bear. Where is your God? Uh, now, I don't know, we don't know if uh, the person asking this in verse 3 All the day long, where is your God? We don't know if it's the same 
group of adversaries in verse number 10. That could be the same ones. It could be different ones. Um, But uh, the question is the same. God has abandoned you. Uh, Now, these mocks, these taunts, this ridicule that the psalmist is facing, uh, they're seeking to magnify his troubles while casting doubt on the goodness and faithfulness of God. Now, uh, we would think that when someone says there is no God or where is your God, they're casting doubt that God even existed. But most likely what they're saying is God is not giving good to you right now. Right? Where, where is God? If, if there was a God, why are you here? David, David, if God is good, where was God when your kingdom fell to your son? Where was God when your enemies closed in all around you? Where is your God now? No, no David, no son of Korah. You're all alone. You have no help. There's, if God was with you, you wouldn't be here. And that all too familiar when walking through sorrow. Our grief, our sadness, the dark night of the soul seems to overshadow the nearness of God. We lose sight. The, the pain is, is too great. The sorrow is just too deep. The night is it's just too long. And we lose sight of just how close God is. But I want to remind you the same thing that I was reminded of and have been reminded of over the past 15 months, that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. It's from Psalm 46.1. Our thoughts can go back to a time when sorrow wasn't a constant reminder, when something was better than loneliness and confusion, a time when we were near with God. And the psalmist remembered how he would lead the congregation in singing to the living God. He would be at the forefront. He would be the Ronald of our day. He would be leading us in worship. As they entered the temple, he would be welcoming them uh, in praise and singing. But his life looks so much different now. Instead of singing praises in the temple, he's having to hear the mocks and the ridicule of his friends and his enemies. His song of praise would be more suited for a funeral. And all this seems to be more than he can handle. Daily tears, nightly sorrows, cry after cry, tear after tear. And his cry of despair leads to point number two, his complaint of desertion. Verses 6 through 10. Again, any any preacher that's going to preach must have at least two Spurgeon quotes in his sermon. Uh, I think that's a, uh, that's a uh, prerequisite to preach. But Spurgeon said that the second stanza of Psalm 42 begins upon the bass, the low notes. Uh, I, I, love, I love a cello. I love the, the, the songs in, in a minor key. Um, probably a little weird, but uh, these would be that sorrowful notes, the low notes on the cello. Uh, this isn't the end of the, the Marvel movie. This is in the middle when everything comes crashing in on them. It's a lot more sorrowful, a lot more painful. And the psalmist felt that pain. He said his soul was cast down 
within him. Interesting, as I was studying this, that the word cast down, the Hebrew word is used exclusively in the Psalms of Lament. It's also used in one other place in Lamentations. Kind of get where that one comes from. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what Lamentations is about. It's a word wrapped in sorrow and grief. It means that you're brought down to the point of despair and you have no feeling of hope. David's cry of desperation in Psalm 42. Uh, Jeremy preached about this last week when he was in the cave of Adullam. David said, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge fell me. Failed me, no man cared for my soul. God, there's, there's no hope. I'm in the middle of the desert. I, I'm 100 miles from home. I'm near Mount Hermon and Mount Mizar, the little mountain. Uh, this mountain didn't even get, you can't even find it on the map. People say it's just the little mountain. I mean, it's, you think about being separated. 100 miles from the temple where he found his life-giving and life-impacting joy, but for all the closeness of it, that five to seven day hike, it might as well have been halfway around the world for him because it's so far away, so lonely, so much in despair. So like the psalmist, we sit in loneliness. We're surrounded by friends, but we feel all alone. If I could hear him again, if only she would let me know she's okay. If I can only go back and do, you can fill in the blank. The phone never rings. There's no knock on the door. There's no email. There's no text message. And the silence becomes deafening. You've looked for rest. You've sought peace. But all you found is turmoil and restlessness. And look again at the contrast here between verse 7 and verses 1 and 2. Uh, this psalm begins with a deer panting for a gentle stream to quench its thirst, find some rest, just to relax. But instead of a quiet, gentle stream, notice what the psalmist says in verse number 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's trying to find a place to rest. And it feels like he's getting bombarded with waterfalls and waves. Uh, we don't know if the psalmist is using poetic language in verse number 7. Um, we know he's, at some point, they crossed the Jordan River to get to Mount Hermon. It could have been there, during the time of the year when the Jordan River is in its full force. Or he could just be thinking back to another day. But the imagery is hard to miss in this verse. He's wanting to rest, but he's being drenched by a waterfall. Uh, he's hoping to find a gentle river, but instead he's found himself in the middle of an ocean during a raging storm. Wave after wave after wave keeps knocking him down. Uh, no matter how hard he swims, another wave is right behind the next and just as powerful. Now, our, our family, <coughs> we've... We've spent several vacations at the beach, and, and one thing that uh, Logan, our oldest, does, oldest, he loves to jump, in, jump over the waves in the ocean, um, which means, Daddy, can you pick me up over the wave? 
I love doing that, but I'm not a big fan of water. Uh, so I have to make sure that I don't get too far from the shore. Uh, but I've learned that it's impossible to predict how hard the next wave is going to be based on how easy the one you just jumped over was. So one minute I'm knee deep and I'm feeling okay. And I'm just picking them up and setting them down. And then I pick them up and I'm up to my chest and I start to panic because I can't swim that well. Now imagine, Logan said yes, so he knows I can't swim that well. <laughs> now imagine wave after wave after wave like that. You finally get your head above water and then another one hits you again. You think you finally got it together and you're going to finally get through a day without tears and you see a picture again. And it comes back on you and you're back under the wave again. And it's so easy to focus on these waves, isn't it? It's so easy to, to focus on how hard they're hitting you and how much force and how much you're just tumbling and tossing in the waves. But you miss the beauty of verses 7 and 8. Let me read those again and listen to, the, listen to what the psalmist says. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life, I say to God, my rock. The waves are just as strong. He's still getting hit at, with wave after wave. He's still trying to drink from a, from a fire hose, but instead of focusing on the waves, he now focuses on the steadfast love of God, this never-ending anchor in the midst of the storm, uh, this, this unconditional love of God that's mentioned 52 times in the Psalms. 60% of these uses are found in the Psalms of Lament. And that's fitting because when the darkness of sorrow seems to surround us, we need to run to that steadfast love of God. We need to anchor our lives in the God who will never leave us. When darkness and sorrow seems to surround us so much that we can't even see the, our hand in front of our face, that steadfast love of God will give us the light to see. When wave after wave of doubt knocks us down, when despair makes us feel like we're going to go under for the, for, the, for the last time. It's that steadfast love of God that gives us hope. It's that steadfast love of God that we can truly rest in. And when we do, we can sing the song of God. Interestingly enough, there's three verses in Scripture that mentions God being our song. Uh, the first was alluded to a few weeks ago when Ronald preached with the Egyptians being destroyed in the Red Sea and Moses' psalm of, or song of deliverance. Interestingly enough, I, I want to I stop here for a second. This isn't in my notes, but I have time. The first song you read about in Scripture is a song of God's salvation for His people. The last song you read about in Scripture 
is a song about God's salvation for his people. So sing about God's salvation for his people when you're in the midst of sorrow. But Moses said, back on, back on cue, Moses said that the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Uh, it's quoted again in Psalm 119 and again in Isaiah 12 too. These are the praises we give to God in the night when the only thing we have to hold on to is God and the promise that He is with us. And these are the night songs that are a precious gift from our good God. And Psalmist knew that he had to fix his eyes on Jehovah. Everywhere he looked, he was reminded of the bitter sorrows of life. But if he would lift his eyes toward heaven, if he would take his eyes off of uh, the peripheral, then God alone would be his focus. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. The Lord was his anchor. The Lord was his life and his rock. And in a world of uncertainties, in a world of sadness, in a world of constant tears, God would be his anchor. He, he still felt isolated from God. He had to endure the taunts, the mocks of his enemies. He's a hundred miles from Jerusalem, but God's steadfast love that night song gave him hope of a brighter day. And we can trust in the day-by-day -day grace that God faithfully provides. Even though the darkness hasn't yet lifted, there is still flickers of grace that sustain us along the way. The sun may not rise for a few more hours, but in the waiting hours, the sorrowing have a Savior. And this, this little glimmer of hope, this... This one thing that he could hold on to gave the psalmist hope and gave him confidence in a deliverer. Now, we've spent some time this morning looking at the difficult situation that he was in, but, but now we're going to flip the coin over and we're going to see the other side. Uh, much like you're trying to figure out the image of a tapestry from the backside, you walk around to the front and everything. All those tangled threads on the backside make a picture on the other side. That's what the psalmist is seeing now. He's looking at the portrait that God is creating. And, and, and this chorus, this, this chorus, it's typically the, the easiest part of the song to learn because of the repetition. It caused him to have a conversation with himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Um... I'm in fairly good company with the son of Korah here because I talk to myself a lot. I answer myself back a lot. We have great conversations. We have silly conversations. But I talk to myself, and this is what the psalmist was doing. He was seeing the circumstances that he was facing. He was looking at all the turmoil, all of the mocks, all of the jeers, all of the stuff. And he looked up to God and he looked in himself and he said, why? Why are you in turmoil within me? Now, he had a lot of valid reasons he could justify his sorrow. He's 100 miles from home. Most likely, he has been replaced at the temple 
So not only is he homeless, he's broke. His enemies are mocking him. And it seems as if God is silent. But he looks up and he focuses on the splendor and the majesty of God. He remembers the steadfast love of God. He remembers how faithful God has been even in the night. And although the the book of Lamentations wouldn't be written for another 450 years, I'm sure he would agree with Lamentations 3, 31 through 33. It's the very heart of the book. Lamentations is divided into five chapters. The first two chapters each have 22 verses. The final two have 22. Chapter 3 has 66. And right in the middle, right at the heart of Lamentations, listen to what the writer said. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he calls grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And sometimes we go through sorrow and we never discover the reason why. But God is still there. His steadfast love will still sustain us. Some of you have been limping through the dark night of sorrow for some time now. And the question you just want to keep asking yourself is much like the question that this, all of the other psalms of lament ask. One of two questions. Why or how long? You want to know why you're having to limp through it. You want to know how much longer is this going to last? The answer may not ever come. But we can still hope in God and trust in Him. We may have to learn to limp on a cane of grace, much like Jacob. But that cane will bear the weight that we can't bear. Let me give you a quick example of this, of, uh, of how circumstances didn't change, but the heart of the person did. And you can go back and read this later if you want. But in Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 through 35, you have the story of Leah. Uh, Leah was the unloved wife of Jacob. Leah was the, um, she was Leah. You can read about her in Scripture, what Jacob thought about her. So Leah, this passage gives the, the story of how Leah gave birth to her first four children, her only four children. Firstborn came along and she named him Reuben. Reuben means, see, I've given you a son. So she could hold Reuben up and say, Jacob, this is yours. You got to love me now. I gave you a boy. Jacob still didn't love her. Nothing changed. Second, sometime later along came Simeon. Simeon means the Lord has heard that I'm hated. So every time Jacob would say, Simeon, he would be reminded, I hate Leah. Every time she heard that name, it was, I'm hated. I'm hated. And then came little Levi. Little Levi means attached. In her heart, she thought, finally, I've given birth to three boys. Rachel, who he loves, ain't got none. And I've given him three. 
He's going to be attached to me now. Didn't change. I've given you a son. I'm still hated. I'm hoping you're, you're attached to me. Nothing changed. And then came Judah, baby boy number four. And she named him Judah. Verse 31 says, this time I will praise the Lord. Problems at home never changed. In fact, they got a lot worse as more kids came along. But something happened somewhere in Leah's heart. I may not ever be loved. I may not ever be accepted. I may not ever have to be free from this pain of being unwanted. But in my heart, I'm going to praise the Lord, even though I don't understand. Because she knew even in the midst of her pain, God was still worthy of her praise. And this should be our hearts as well. Now in, in a book that I would encourage anyone in here who is hurting, who is grieving, who's trying to make sense of the pain, I would encourage you to purchase a copy of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Pastor Mark Vrogop. Uh, I've read this book before my dad passed away last year. I've read it since. And he gives three helpful ways to worship God even while you're suffering. And even though they're not from Psalm 42, all three of these ways are found in Psalm 42. One, keep trusting in God's steadfast love. The psalmist said that God commands his steadfast love. By the day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And think about that for a moment. Jehovah God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, issues a command that his steadfast love be with you. Not that you would see his steadfast love. Not that you would experience his steadfast love, but his steadfast love will always be on you as an anchor. Number two, rejoice in God's salvation. Uh, this was the chorus. This is verse 5 and verse 11, the, the repetition, the easy part of the song. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Uh, lift up your voice. Uh, the, the redeemed have something worth rejoicing about. Lift up your voice in song. Lift up your voice and sing. Praise God for his salvation. Rejoice that he saved you. And third, lift up your voice in praise. Uh, this, this prayer, this, uh, this voice of praise, it can be a song. Uh, it can be a prayer. It can be a time of weeping. Uh, it could be a time of you alone with a pen and a piece of paper and just writing out your heart before God. But at the end of the day, the beauty of the Psalms is he goes from just being so down. And at the end of it, he's rejoicing in God because he focuses on God and he rejoices and he lift up, lifts his voice up in praise. And our deliverance this deliverance, this 
rescue may not ever fully come, but we're fully secure in Jesus Christ. He's paid the penalty for our sins. He has delivered us from death and darkness. He has made us sons and daughters of God. And because of Christ's redemption, we have a future hope. This pain, this sorrow, this heartache that you're going through is not the end. You will see God. You will rejoice in God. You will worship God one day fully, wholly, completely. Yes, you may lament, but you can worship while you lament. But there's some in here this morning that truly need to lament over the sorrow and guilt of your sins. You've never felt the, the greatness of the weight of your sin on your life, and you think that everything is okay. You think that you're fine because you're this or you're that or you're not as bad as this person or you're better than that person. Christ bore the punishment for your sin so that by faith you can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I would encourage you, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, come down front at the end. Me or one of the other elders will take as long as it takes to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ so that you can leave here a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then you too can sing this song of deliverance. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Lament can be hard to go through. can be tough, but it is part of God's plan for his children Page after page in the Bible gives us an example of men and women crying out to God in the midst of suffering. All the time, they're still trusting and clinging to the promises of God. And I do want to give a few practical applications this morning for those who are suffering, uh, those who are learning how to lament, those who are trying to make sense of all the pain. All of these start with S's, so hopefully it will be easy to remember. But first, saturate yourself in God's Word. Read it. Pray it. Write it down. Memorize it. Quote it to yourself. Put it on your computer. Put it on the lock screen on your phone. Saturate yourself in God's Word. Uh, the, the, the Psalms of Lament, the promises that God will never leave us. Focus on these promises of God. Second, Supplement your life with biblical resources. Uh, I mentioned Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. There's, there's helpful books. There's great biographies of men and women who share their heart as they dealt with pain and sorrow. Um, uh, we've partnered with IBCD.org. They have a tremendous amount of articles on grief and on sorrow. Uh, they're free. Log on, read those articles. Uh, take advantage of the Grief Share classes that we'll have again here in the spring, spring of 2024. A divorce share will be in the, summer, or the fall of this year. Then spring of next year will be Grief Share. So saturate yourself, supplement your life. But finally, surround yourself with God's people. 
One of the easiest things that you think you can do when you're going through sorrow is isolate yourself. I, I, I don't want to be a bother to people. Well, I, I don't want people to see me crying. I don't, I don't want to see people see me. I don't want to have to answer those questions of how are you, so I'm just going to stay home today. That's the worst thing you can do when you're going through grief. Look around. We have a family that will walk through pain and suffering with you. We'll weep with you. We'll rejoice with you. We'll pray with you. We'll cry with you. We'll limp with you if need be, and we'll stay with you for as long as we can. Lament can be foreign to a lot of us. But it's a song that we're going to have to learn to sing. This song in a minor key may be painful to learn, but it's a song that God has given us. We may falter with the lyrics. We may even have to stop singing while the music still plays. But we'll soon learn the melody of praise that's hidden within the notes. And there is a song of mercy to be sung under dark clouds. And we can help each other find their way through the pain. Father, I thank you for this time you've given us this morning. I thank you for how over the past 15 months you've helped me learn to lament. You've given me a song of praise to you in the midst of sorrow. Father, I pray for those this morning who are hurting, trying to make sense of heartache, trying to make sense of pain, trying to make it through another day. Father, I pray that they would see you as their anchor. They would see you as their comfort. They would see you as their deliverer. They would trust and rest in your steadfast love. And that we would all sing along. In your name, amen.